What is it about? Computational communication science? Welcome back to the CCS podcast. What is it about computational communication science? Today we have a quite interesting topic that I personally was looking forward to a lot. How to become a data scientist. My name is Emesha Domahidi. I'm an assistant professor um, on computational communication science at Technische Universität Ilmenau. Hi, uh, my name is Maria Heim. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Leipzig um, for data journalism and computational communication research. And um, it is a great pleasure to welcome Till Keiling with us. Hi, Till. Hi, nice to meet you guys. Till has accomplished his PhD back in 2016 and then started as a data scientist at ProSiebenSat1, one of the biggest German commercial broadcasters, um, and then changed a couple of years back, is now team lead of the software engineering and data science team at Payback. And uh, Till is also the co-developer of FacePager, a tool you might have stumbled over when working in uh, the field. Till, data scientist has been called the sexiest job of the 21st century some 10 years ago. Is it still the sexiest job? Hmm, I guess that's hard to say because you need to compare it probably to lots of other jobs. I guess it's still, I wouldn't call it sexy maybe, but it's definitely still an interesting job. And I remember that, that article in, I think it was in uh, Harvard Business Review. And then I remember actually my parents like cutting me out a newspaper article from a German tabloid, putting it on my table while I was pursuing my PhD. And you always know you're a sort of, in, in communication science, you would call it a laggard, right? right? When your parents are putting newspaper articles on your desk and saying, hey, have you read about this? Of course, I've read about uh, that uh, during that time. Um, the field, I would say, changed a lot, but it's still one of the, I guess, most interesting fields in the world of, I'd say, technology. Sexy, no, interesting, yes. <laughs> so can, can we break it down? What, what is data science? In a nutshell, it is probably trying to produce or designing products out of data or trying to maybe mine uh, information out of data. Maybe maybe that's another description. I mean, in the field, um, the, the term or what data science is about changed a lot during, I would say, the latest 10 years. Let's maybe go back 10 years ago. Data science was, I, I'd say, or maybe it is still an umbrella term for everything involved um, that deals with, I would say, large amounts of data, sort of extracting information from data, cleaning uh, data, applying certain, let's call it algorithms or statistical methods to data, and so on and so on. That sort of evolved, such as, for example, a data engineer that mainly cares about the, I would say, ingestion or data wrangling part of data science, right? You get maybe unstructured data, you want to sort of pass it into another system or pass it into, for example, an algorithm. That's why you need to sort of clean data or ingest it. This is formally was called or is a was a large share of the daily doing of a data scientist right now, especially in the, I would say, more advanced industries. Um, this is called data engineering. Then you have what's currently called, I, was, I would say, what is the core of data science itself is applying or maybe first of all, finding the right statistical models or algorithms for the basically the problem that you want to solve. That problem could be classification, prediction, and so on. This is basically, I would say, the core of data scientists. And then in the end, basically, um, and this is what most companies I get would call machine learning engineering, and that relates to classical software engineering to some extent. You want to apply those models, algorithms, and so on in a real world environment, right? You, for example, want to make a prediction, for example, for ProSiebenSat1, we made predictions what viewers are going to view in the future, what their area of interest is. You all know those predictions basically from Netflix. You want to deploy <laughs> it into a production system. So the core is, developing the algorithms, but there is upstream and downstream work to it. So the field sort of um, has produced or sort of, yeah, 
specialized into multiple roles? I have to admit that for me, at least, this episode is really a bit different because I'm not uh, so much thinking about uh, specific roles in the industry. So it's super interesting to, to hear about that. And just to come back a little bit to our audience, what do you think? Which, kind, which of these roles is interesting for communication scientists? <laughs> hmm. Probably the 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 data science role itself and now there is a split within that role itself there are two parts or two at least two qualifications that you need to solve and right now the industry is mainly focusing on the on the algorithm part right training or sort of modifying your algorithm to a very very specific problem and trying to sort of squeeze out the last 0.7% in terms of whatever makes your algorithm good, right? There are multiple criteria. Some of them you might know from communication cycle, like R squared or RMSEA and something like that. And sort of optimizing the algorithm is certainly one part where um, the biggest focus is on right now. I'd say given the complexity of algorithms today or statistical models today, this is probably what I would not focus on if I'd be a communication science student. Okay. Because, <laughs> well, you need to dig into very complicated um, sort of uh, statistical equations or math in general. You'd need to deal, especially today, with um, what is pretty on vogue right now into a neural network. You wouldn't have chosen communication science if you would like to sort of work on the latest fancy and modern algorithm, right? On the other hand, you need to sort of provide context. You simply can't take a problem and say, I'm just going to throw an algorithm on it and then the job is done. And then basically I've explained everything and I can uh, sort of pick up the next problem. An algorithm is only working uh, or will only be sort of be a proper one if it fits to the current context. So you always need to sort of think about what is exactly the problem I'm going to solve. Which sort of possibilities can I maybe rule out? Let's, for example, what is the genre or maybe the, the specific movie I'm going to watch next? In order to solve those problems, you create a problem space. What is a genre? What is a movie? What sort of are the possible features or characteristics of a movie like um, the actors? And this is basically, where I, I guess, where communication science students or social science students in general could apply their knowledge. Um, thinking about a problem or a solution first and then applying statistical models or artificial um, intelligence uh, techniques onto your problem. So, so that's a, a structural knowledge, a broader view, a broader perspective that communication scholars or social scientists can bring in. What about text as data or what kinds of data are you working with on a daily basis? And I guess that changes if you look at your current employer versus your, your old employer, but, but how, how different or what's the main focus? Text is definitely becoming more and more important, and that's especially because the the algorithms um, that you can sort of apply on on textual problems, so to say, are becoming better and better. I remember when I was working um, five to six years ago, especially with the sort of rise of um, one algorithm or class of algorithms I would call word-to-vec algorithms or doc-to-vec algorithms, sort of fostered the whole. Um, development in, in textual processing. Definitely, if you're working, for example, in the realm of, um, let's say, search engine, uh, engine advertising or search engine optimization, or of course, I mean, in, in chatbots, you're developing chatbots for a company, then textual information is super important. So I'd say it, de it depends. And there are, I'm sure there are plenty of jobs Where, where textual information is super crucial and therefore content analysis and NLP algorithms are. Right now, I'm not dealing with text at all, I'd say. And I haven't dealt with textual information in, in my former job at ProSiebenSat1 as well. So, sounds not so important for your personal career, at least. In other companies or in other contexts, this might be quite important. So it depends yeah. a little bit. Exactly. And, 
If you already talk about things that communication scientists know or could know, what do you think, which skills from university were important for you? I mean, in my, in my sort of first job after, the, after my PhD, I've basically dealt with viewership behavior or let, let's call it human behavior in general, right? So I'd say communication or social science in general deals with human behavior and having all those theories at hand is extremely important because if you have a theory um, at hand about human behavior, you can rule out certain um, things that humans are more likely to do or are less likely to do and therefore incorporate that into your algorithm, right? You would probably say, okay, this behavior or this behavioral path is more likely for a human um, to sort of to follow and therefore I can sort of adapt my algorithm to that kind of um, behavioral path. If you are working in a field that basically deals with human behavior or especially human communication in general, or especially media in general, right, or mass media, and this is what Prosim Zadeins was doing. Yes. Uh, being a communication science student is um, extremely important and, and still up to the date, and you would definitely um, sort of outperform other data scientists that maybe have a better knowledge of statistical models, models and algorithm just because of the fact you have uh, a theory of human behavior or, or mass media at hand and can work with that theory. Let's say you are a data scientist and you would work on topics like predictive maintenance. When is a machine going to break? Well, then maybe it's harder to sort of span up a relationship from communication science to that. But even then, I mean, basically what university and I guess especially so, uh, social science tells you, human behavior is ridiculously complex, even when you compare it to like physical problems or other sort of <laughs> engineering prom problems, right? So you always have that that certain or actually large percent of, of um uncertainty in human behavior. And this basically applies to most um, real world problems as well. And dealing with that kind of un uncertainty is, um, um, I, I guess, what uh, communication or social science prepares you for. And um, as soon as you're working on a real world problem, maybe, um, yeah, you need to deal with that kind of uncertainty. And that's, I guess, what we have learned as a communication scientist. Maybe you didn't learn that as, a, as an uh, engineer or um, when you studied um, math or something like that, because your whole world in mathematics or engineering is it's a very controlled world. As soon as you're going out into the wild, it is far away from being <laughs> controlled, right? Because humans do nasty things, even machines do nasty things that you can hardly predict or um, uh, sometimes incorporate into, into a mathematical model. Yeah, so you're prepared for, for chaos, I would say, when you're dealing uh, or when you're studying communication science. <laughs> I, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Given that you developed, co-developed the face pager, you already knew how to code. Not every communication scholar comes out of university and knows how to code. But if we look into job ads for data science, most of them ask for some Python or R knowledge. How, what is your experience? How important is coding, programming, developing as a skill when you apply for a job as a data scientist? I mean, it is extremely important, but especially when we're talking about um, job descriptions, take it with a grain of salt, so to say. I mean, there are literally job descriptions which are asking for an experience in technology XYZ, and that technology is not even that old, right? There are those <laughs> kind of job descriptions. So take it with a grain of salt. I mean, you definitely need to have at least um, sort of basic coding knowledge, and Python is definitely, I'd say, the, the most preferred um, language in, when it comes to data science, or maybe data engineering and machine learning engineering uh, as well. Um, but I'd, if, if I'm interviewing a candidate, I'm not necessarily asking for a specific language or technology, but I'd like to see that you're able or how you are able to sort of 
apply or encounter a certain problem and solve that with code. And then it's basically quite easy. A good candidate is easy sort of to, to quickly learn a new language. Um, but I'd say it would be hard if you have ever or haven't ever worked with any programming languages and then would apply for a data science uh, job. So it's definitely important, but you don't need to know Python, R, C++, and Rust or something like that. Pick one language, and if you'd ask me, pick Python, because R is certainly still important um, in academia. But when it comes to production code, I've hardly seen R in production, and uh, most people or most companies definitely stick to Python. So sad news for me as an R user, main R user, yes. <laughs> yeah. So when you when you uh, interview an applicant, are you looking generally in today's data science world more for specialists or more for all-rounders? I personally would look more for for all-rounders because I think most of the problems do not need to um, basically improve your algorithm uh, to, to the last digit, um, so to say, right? This is basically not what I would like to optimize for or, or what most companies are optimizing for. I know that if you're reading job descriptions, they usually, um, especially for, for um, a pure data science job, they always ask for, you have deep knowledge in deep neural nets and something like that. But I'd, I'd sort of guesstimate that um, most of the companies just apply standard statistical or artificial models and maybe even use um, ready-made or pre-made models for that. So then there is no need to have a... Um, have somebody which is really specialized in, in a, a specialized in a certain class of algorithms. So I would rather go for the generalist. Um, have, have, have a good understanding of, of the computer as a whole, have a good understanding of data, know a programming language, be uh, equipped with data collection and data analysis processes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All companies that are not Google, Facebook, or maybe um, Amazon, still as a data scientist a large share of your day-to-day -day job is cleaning data ingesting data from source a into sort of destination b transform unstructured unstructured data into structured data and so on and so on this is definitely a part of your job i would say in in most of the um, positions when you are working as a data scientist in some companies, this is highly specialized, but I'd say, especially in Germany, in most companies, you'd need to deal with the data ingestion part and maybe even with the um, part of productionizing your code so it is usable on a website or wherever you would like to deploy your code or where your code is used as well. Yes. So it sounds like you need to like data and working with data. Yeah. This is something I guess we all do, uh, all of us three. But uh, of course, everyone who applies for this job should be aware that this is a big part. Till you mentioned already that aside from technological aspects, uh, for example, asking the right question, providing the context is super important. What about knowledge on ethics or, for example, legal knowledge, which makes up I would say a big part nowadays in some data science fields. When it comes to ethics, I'd say the, or my exposure so far is quite minimal, but that maybe is extremely, extremely dependent on the topic you would be working with, right? Let's say you would be working with um, medical data, for example ethics and what you can do with that data is probably way more important than when it comes to um, uh, uh, viewerships or usage of media or predictive maintenance for, for uh, technical um, sort of appliances uh, and something like that. Um, however, when it comes to privacy concerns, I would say this is definitely relevant for almost every data scientist slash data engineer or even software engineer especially when it comes to um, topics like GDPR, 
basically GDPR is the buzzword here. So I guess every major company throughout the last, what is it now, three or four years needs to be GDPR compliant, whatever that means in detail. And um, more important, if you work with sort of PII data, so sort of data that is relatable uh, to a specific person, then you would need to be aware um, or at least think about topics. Can I store my data, for example, in the Google Cloud or Amazon Cloud? What am I allowed to do that data? Is it really um, necessary to move that data from source A to destination B? Or can I maybe obfuscate that data with a certain class of algorithms? It is definitely, I would say, a problem. Ethics, from my personal experience, um, I never thought about that. <laughs> maybe that's because maybe I'm unethical. No, just just kidding. I think this was not a problem for me yet. But um, yeah, you you mentioned a lot that one project may differ from another. Just to get an idea of those this project specific or how long do projects usually take we are used to phds of three years i guess that's not the estimate here what is a usual turnaround time for a, a data science project mm, i would wouldn't even rule out sort of a problem can easily take up to to three or five years depending on the complexity of course and what systems are involved what revenue is behind this uh, this problem um, by, but I'd say on average, um, or from my personal experience, I'd say like roughly between six to 12 months, something like that. Um, usually you st would start off with a, with a POC, right? A proof of concept. Um, and sometimes those, well, it's already in the name, that proof of concept is uh, could be a throwaway. So you'd be working on a specific problem for, let's say, one month or two months or in our lingo, for example, uh, four sprints. And then um, you are going to present it to whatever, uh, your team lead, your, um, your, your let, let's make it more general, your stakeholders. And uh, then they say, hmm, this is not generating revenue or that's not what we imagined. And then it becomes a throwaway and sort of you pick up the next problem. Could be the case and largely depends on how on the willingness of your company um, to spend money on those kind of POCs or whether they are more accustomed to rather classical project management. Uh, we would call that waterfall and say, hey, I'm going to to create a, there's only a German word for it, I guess, Lastenheft, where the problem is already narrowed down <laughs> to, to a very great detail. Yeah. And then basically you are just uh, working your ass off on those kind of requirements. Um, Don't ask me why, but I happen to know the translation. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a, a called a functional requirement specification, FRS. Ah, okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm not, okay. I, I don't know yeah. why I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, 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 if a project takes, say, a month or two until you present the first uh, abstract or, or POC and then it takes another year or so. Um, is having a PhD valuable in in terms that you can refer to a long-term project that you managed on your own? This, I would say, does not only apply to, to, to any data science jobs, but I guess to any more complex um, yeah, job or, or positions in general that you are accustomed or used to um, to certain periods where nothing is going forward or where where we where you can't solve a problem immediately, right? So I'd say yes, it's definitely beneficial. Other than a PhD, I'd say in most data science projects you'd not be working on your own, but you probably are working together with with. Uh, um, a large bunch of people, you need to manage stakeholders. Um, and I mean, it definitely depends on, on your PhD, right? If you're doing your PhD in a research group, for example, it's, it's very different than when you're doing your PhD um, uh, uh, completely on your own. So I'd say it depends. Um, but it, it is definitely, there is some kind of relationship to it. That's why I actually sort of um, moved into the field as well. I found or I still find it very similar to what you're doing in a PhD, 
minus the things I didn't like about PhD, <laughs> which is going to conferences, writing articles and books, <laughs> and maybe asking for money every other year. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. That, that's great, especially uh, not going to conferences. Uh, I would say this brings us directly to networking because conferences are academia's networking, but of course there are a lot of meetups, um, people to follow and so on as well if you move to the industry. Yeah. What do you think? How important is this in general in the field or maybe how important was it for you? It was super important and interesting for me, especially in the beginning when I started um, in order to sort of build a network, get to know uh, other colleagues or sort of other other um, other problems that could be interesting. Um, of course, as of today, um, you could completely live without any conferences or sort of physical meetups because everything is digital anyway. You could look up uh, it afterwards on YouTube and so on and so on. But um, especially if you plan to stay in one city, for example, it's always good to have a network of, of, of other colleagues or data scientists um, that you can exchange with. Maybe if you sort of plan to move to another company or want to sort of um, go into the body leasing business and sort of rent yourself to a specific company, it's always good to have a, have a, a huge network. But I'd say, right, for example, right now, I hardly attend any conferences, probably due to the pandemic as well. Um, but I somewhat feel a little saturated about meetups and conferences um, when it comes to data science, because it's, I would say, similar to conferences in, in, in science or to most scientific conferences. You usually only get a glimpse of what the... Um, what a um, what the problem is and what the solution is, right? Um, I'm more interested or interested in actually reading the code and um, sort of having time to to read the code uh, rather than listening to to um, yeah to a certain um, presentation or something like that. And the same uh, I think applies for for um, for most scientific conferences as well, right? You'd need to read the paper afterwards or maybe sort of check uh, the data set afterwards anyway. Um, but in order to sort of stumble upon certain problems or interesting projects, it's definitely um, still a relevant activity for a data scientist. But if um, you are not attending conferences, how do you stay up to date about what's going on? How do you know of new the newest hot stuff on neural networks, for example? Actually, um, I mean, by talking to other colleagues, of course. And and once you mm -hmm. have established a network, I think it's, and your network is sort of, has grown to a certain um, size, so to say, probably there is, um, then it's an informal network and sort of you, you chat with uh, your uh, colleagues or former colleagues, uh, um, anyway, um, and therefore you get exposure to new things. What is really important for me, actually, and that's one of the first things I do in the morning is uh, browsing, ha uh, browsing Hacker News, for example. So the new news platform from Y Combinator. It's not, I would say, specialized or dedicated to data science, but to software engineering, um, computer science, data science, um, engineering in general. Um, but that gives you a very good glimpse of what is currently important in the field. If you, I'd say if you want to stick to data science, the, the Kaggle website is definitely uh, worth a visit. What's that? It's a website that presents you problems that you could solve as a data scientist and work on as a data scientist. Um, so it's like a competition for data scientists, so to say. And usually after the competition is done, depends a little bit on the settings, uh, you could uh, check out the solutions of others um, to that specific problem. And that is definitely extremely important um, if you're new in the field or if you want to uh, know about um, the latest fancy algorithm and how to apply it um, in real world. There are, there are podcasts also, um, at least um, the ones that I know of. 
Um, one that I know of is called Towards, da Towards Data Science. Exactly, yeah. So what's data scientists, the, the, the blog platform in general uh, is uh, on Medium is definitely, um, definitely interesting as well. And then the Towards Data Science podcast is as well interesting because a lot of guests are there. Um, so you can, yeah, get to know a lot of people who somehow play a role. So I, I actually like to listen to it sometimes, not even because of the topic, but I would like uh, to hear about this person, right? Yeah. I would as well like to recommend uh, the book, Build a Career in Data Science from uh, Jacqueline Nollis and Emily Robinson for people who want to get started in this field, maybe for our communication science students. Um, who just want to get an idea, what is it all about, um, where, what are the roles, I mean, um, if, if they are not, uh, or they don't know everything from uh, your explanation still, they could still turn to this book or podcast <laughs> and uh, um, get to know more. They do discuss really different aspects, which I, which I think is very valuable for newcomers, right? Yeah. But I feel that there are so many sources out there that I am overwhelmed all the time. I always like stumble upon a blog and like, what well, this is interesting and why well, I didn't know about this guy or this girl on this topic. So it's a lot, right? It's a lot. So hard to focus. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, probably a problem that most PhD students can relate to as well, right? What is your stop criteria when you're searching for literature, for example? Absolutely, Shall I do absolutely. the next stop to the next book? <laughs> Is there maybe a circular references? Then I can probably stop and so on and so on. Um, same applies if you want to get into the field and are um, um, sort of reading uh, blog posts. There's there is no um, yeah, it's impossible to read everything. Actually, I I'd consider this a good development because the the field was not that active i'd say um or you would not get that many information um in the internet so to say and right now um it's you get vast amounts of information so as a beginner i'd say um it's it's a little easier to to sort of start off with and of course you have lots of great resources now on Coursera or other sort of massive on how, how is it called mass i i forgot the Online. name mmeog something like yeah. that all those sort of websites where you could train yourself um There are dedicated courses in universities or even whole um, sort of studies um, in, in universities specifically dedicated to data scientists, equipping you with the right tools. So, so this dramatically changed. So I guess it is way easier than, than five or six years ago. Till we kind of wanted to play a little game at the end, um, assuming mm -hmm. that Emesh and I were to get into the field and you were our say employer or our go-to employer we checked the the list of job ads and we found that basically every company in the world seems to look for data scientists and we, we picked you and apply for for your company so could you give us a rough estimate of what would you be looking for you already said generalists uh, have a good knowledge what would you look for us to stand out um, of the thousands of data science science applicants despite my current title which is team lead software engineering data science i'm actually looking more for software engineers right now is this a rejection to is this a rejection <laughs> this is definitely a rejection no, no, just kidding um um, if I'd be looking for a, I mean, maybe I can start off answering the question what I'd be looking for as a software engineer. As a software engineer, actually, I'm looking for persons or people who are able to write reliable and reproducible or structured code. Well, the, all those buzzwords that you're looking for when, when you're talking about what, what currently is called clean code in the industry, mm -hmm. that is extendable um, so that other developers can easily understand your code. That's what I'm looking for, right? But that applies to data scientists as well, right? Yes and no. And this is actually where the I, I, I'd say the job profile is changing. So basically, a couple of years ago, and maybe even right now, data scientists used to write not so good code 
which is basically just a, a large list of um, or a list of scripts. You will call that probably a procedural code. It's hardly tested, mm. uh, which is um, a mess, especially if you want to sort of run production systems. It's hardly documented and so on. So basically, you just have your IPython notebook and then one big list of transformations. And in the end, you spill out a graphic um, or something like that. This is not what what I would consider good code. but Basically, both disciplines now learn from each other. The software engineering discipline learns to sort of deal with larger data and sort of assess or understand the value of data. And um, on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, um, good software design uh, principles, solid principles. Uh, there are those books from the Gang of Four and so on. You could could all look uh, that up. Um, those are being incorporated in in a data science um, jobs or in yeah in, in a data science world as well. Would you look into our code if we had say a portfolio? Yes, definitely. This is interesting for me in order to sort of understand how you're currently writing code, how you're tackling a certain problem, on what level you're currently maybe coding, and I'm not looking for the perfect developer or perfect data scientist. But um, um, what I'm always looking for is um, if somebody has sort of an idea about himself where he wants to land in one year or maybe in two years. Maybe coming back to to the question of um, what I'd be looking uh, for a data scientist is definitely somebody who works with Python. If you would sort of uh, ask me for a specific technology has a sound understanding of classical statistical methods because right now everybody's just putting in a CV, yeah, I've some ex had some exposure to neural nets and something like that, but it's a most, or maybe not most of the problem, but a large share of the um, typical problems that you'll be dealing with could be solved with a simple regression or other, class, so to say, classical um, or um, well-known statistical methods, right? You don't mm -hmm. always need to train your uh, latest, fanciest um, convolutional neural net on your NVIDIA graphic cards. Um, if, if a classical, uh, I don't know, um, random forest uh, would perform maybe even better and it would save some resources uh, and mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. Look, I, when I made my way through the job ads, I was surprised uh, as well by certain things. I mean, the diversity of companies, uh, that was that was one thing. Uh, second, that free drinks and snacks seem to be a thing to offer, right, <laughs> for data scientists. So, I, yeah. of course, we, we don't have this at university and I didn't know that this is still a thing nowadays. Uh, but then another thing that I thought could be maybe interesting for com science students are Agile uh, working uh, yeah, um, styles, maybe mm -hmm. like being a scrum master or so on. And this yep. is actually something uh, we do, do not really teach at university or we do not really look at, I would say, at least um, from my experience. But it seems to be important and um, it could be something that we could more or less easily incorporate, right? Yep. In project management skills. What do you think, Till? Is this, is this important? Um, never thought about that, but now that you're just mentioning it, it is definitely relevant, especially project management and or skills needed in project management and um, as a scrum master definitely overlap with the skills that you probably anyway have if you have, have worked as a communication scientist. So could definitely be a career path as well. When it comes to scrum and agile practices, um, I'd I'd assume that 90%, maybe even more, or most of the companies definitely work in an agile matter, so to say. That could be, maybe they apply Scrum. So the classical Scrum model is you would have a two weeks so-called sprint cycle. In the beginning of the sprint, you basically um, try to establish um, what you what you'd be working on during the next two weeks um, together with the team of developers. Um, then you have a product owner, which is sort of has the long-term program uh, product vision. And then you have a scrum master who's basically trying to keep away so-called waste from the team, right? 
uh, CEOs uh, trying to change your sprint goals um, and so on and so on. People who are disturbing your work, so to say, right? <laughs> this is basically <laughs> the working model. And this is, I mean, this is certainly different to, to the working model of a PhD student or of a, of a professor or something like that. But you, you definitely get accustomed to this. Um, there are other agile methodologies as well. Kanban, for example, extreme programming and so on and so on. But this could be definitely an area um, project management and, and um, Scrum Master um, or agile, uh, agile coach in general that could be relevant for communication scientists as well. I think so. And, and I saw, of course, as well, a couple of jobs, like classical jobs, like PR um, with a data science focus, right? So um, yeah. I think the classic fields of communication science are still relevant. And then with some of the skills you mentioned before, could be great for our students. And, and there are a lot of student jobs. There are lots of student jobs. Yeah. But I'd really beware of what exactly you are doing uh, as, as a student. Um, so, I mean, um, most companies are sort of desperately, I would say, looking for um, uh, sort of... Uh, junior level positions or student jobs in the realm of data science. So don't hesitate to ask, I would say, critical questions and be bold here. Don't let you get sort of um, fooled and, and um, afterwards you're not satisfied because you're doing repetitive tasks or something like that. Um, so um, yeah, there are lots of student jobs. And maybe what could be interesting for um, communication scientists as well is the role of a product owner in data or in data related um, areas right. because you certainly need to have a good understanding of the the value or sort of worth of data as a as a product owner in for a data science team for example if you have some at least some minimal or basic um, technical knowledge, uh, knowledge as well that is always important in order um, to talk to your your developers or your data scientists and this is a super interesting um, yeah job as well um, especially for for communication scientists i would say so if, if as a communication scholar, I would want to sell myself for a data science job, I should probably highlight my technological skills, my statistics skills, my, my R yeah. and Python skills. Exactly. Okay. Do you, well, continuing with our game, assuming that you invited us to an interview, uh, uh, do you tackle that in an, in an interview? Do you ask, for example, uh, give problems and ask for tackling them live? asking uh dealing mm -hmm. with problems uh, thinking about coding and solutions yeah we definitely do that but we usually do that in our second interview and um usually in the in the first interview um i'd sort of uh, basically i'd introduce myself and actually the sort of problem space uh, um where we are where we would be working with so basically what is our in our case our application currently doing what problem is it uh, trying to solve and maybe i know that that is not an answer to the question maybe that's one key skill as well um i derived from my phd system thinking uh, thinking so for example in my case i mean you know i'm a big fan of lumen but sort of um trying trying to um come up with distinction and differentiate problems and system what is system a doing what problem is it trying to solve this is extremely if not the core skill for software engineering especially and this this uh, system thinking dramatically helps because you're already in that mode what is your system what problem is your system uh, trying to solve what is your distinction in in, in a sort of system theory um, uh, lingo um, but coming back um, Afterwards, and usually in the second round, there is what we call a coding interview. But it's not that I'm going to uh, ask um, questions like, hey, can you please implement a B tree or tell me about uh, one of Dijkstra's algorithms or something like that, right? Here's a problem, just sort of uh, you have 30 minutes of time, uh, come up with a solution. Usually, I already propose a specific solution in code to the candidate, which is 
far away from being ideal and then usually we ask questions such as um, how would you refactor that code um, why did you choose algorithm x y z um, what problems could arrive uh, arise in 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 case you choose this specific algorithm um, and you need to present your solution. This is a fairly typical interview, usually in, your sec in the second round uh, in, in most companies. Is there a third round? Yeah. And this is, I'd say, most of the time, the what, what companies call the HR interview. Then you're going to talk about salaries, about um, a possible relocation, for example, if this is needed. Um, about corporate benefits and so on. Now, now I imagine you just hired us, Mario and me. Absolutely, <laughs> you you did it, right? <laughs> and of course, you want to we want to move up the career ladder fast. Yeah, so but how I can't is this possible? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to move up in the career ladder, hmm. as a data scientist, so, I mean, I guess you did this right in your own career. It depends. I mean, I wouldn't say that being responsible for people or being a team lead or in a, in a leadership position is definitely is, I would not consider it a step up. It's just the different directions. This is actually interesting because most companies, especially I'd say in Europe, fail to provide a certain specialized career path. You're a yes. senior data scientist. What's your next career path? Mm -hmm. hmm. You can't get more senior than senior, so to say. Um, what is it? Being a CIO, you can't get a CIO because most companies would require you to lead a team before. You know, this, those kind of specialized career paths are, I would say, underdeveloped in, in most tech companies. So what people tend to do is they simply switch to being a team lead. But maybe you're not you don't simply enjoy leading people because it's a whole other problem set and it's very vastly different to, to what you're doing as a, as a developer or data scientist. So I wouldn't call it a step up in, in, the, in the career ladder. Um, it's just a different ladder, so to say. So basically, you start off as a, as a junior data scientist, then probably you become a senior data scientist. And then in most companies, you'd need to decide where do you want to go? Maybe you just want to stay a senior data scientist for, for your whole career. And this is absolutely feasible um, or um, not a bad thing to do. Um, maybe, maybe the career ladder, ladder isn't as developed because those that have been the early junior data scientists are not that old yet yeah could be the case as well um but it, i'd say this is rather a sort of structural or systemic problem that not only applies to data scientists but to software uh, developers uh, as well i mean there there are a couple of uh, sort of threats for example in in um, in uh, hacker news uh, where people are asking hey i'm a senior developer right now what's my next career step and people do complain about this sort of structural problem that there is no opportunity um above being a senior developer and i think this is um crucial especially for a tech company to come up with a, a career path at payback for example we have that career path we call it um there's only a german word for it uh, or it, maybe you know the translation Mario, but <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 uh, our career path is what we call a fachreferent sounds super uh, super <laughs> okay. sort of um, historic, but it's this is um, the career path at payback if you don't want to go into a leadership position. Is the, the difference between a junior data scientist and a senior data scientist and maybe even a, a Fachreferent or, I don't know, the go-to guy, mm -hmm. the institutionalized go-to guy, is the difference simply responsibility? Depends. Sometimes the difference is just... Uh, you have made it more than two years and now you become a senior <laughs> data scientist. <laughs> so sometimes and salary. Different. And salary, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. There's a di or there's hopefully uh, um, a difference in, in salary because otherwise uh, sort of, uh, yeah, you've done something wrong probably. Um, responsibility is definitely uh, one of the key differences a senior data scientist is should be sort of 
able to come up, at plan and design a larger infrastructure or data architecture. So coming from university with a PhD does not uh, uh, make you eligible for a senior data scientist just because you feel senior. It's really the um, you need to have experience in the field of data science to apply for such a senior position, right? Yeah, but it depends. I mean, if your PhD, for example, was about um, you have dealt with uh, automated content analysis slash NLP in your PhD, you could certainly apply for a senior data scientist role. If you don't bring any of the tools um, uh, that a, a data scientist usually has, then it would be hard to convince your your employer um, to um, hire you as a senior data scientist. I'd say the PhD, and this is, I would say, again, a general rule, and maybe that rule is even not that strong um, as compared to 10 or 20 years ago, a PhD definitely benefits when you want to um, reach the, the higher levels of the career ladder in terms of, um, yeah, being or becoming become the, the institutionalized go-to Fachreferent. <laughs> yeah, or maybe even in, in the in the highest level in order to become, for example, a CIO or um, a department head or something like that. Then okay. a PhD, at least in some companies, sort of opens up some doors. It, it really depends on the company. In some companies, especially the rather traditional German companies, PhD is a door opener. Um, but um, I mean, let's be honest, um, more and more people currently um, have a PhD and it's, um, or I, I don't know any numbers, but I, I definitely saw, see more applicant, uh, applicants with a PhD. So you're not alone. And um, it's not like if that you, that there is a job guarantee just because you have your PhD. Okay. I guess. That's it, right, for today. Thank you, Till. I, I really did learn a lot today. I'm, um, yeah, I think it's stunning, the world outside, and um, I'm looking forward uh, to hear more from you sometime. Uh, thank you sure. for being with us. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Till. Um, thanks also for listening. Um, and as always, if you have suggestions for future topics uh, or future questions that we could tackle, please reach out to us. Um, tell us what we should um, discuss, who we should probably talk to. Um, share the podcast and um, feedback us via email or any other channel. Thanks again, Till. And see you, no, hear you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. What is it about? Computational communication science?